This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank Giving Thought in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and civil society. Uh, I'm your host as ever Rod Davis um, and in this episode we are talking to Cassie Robinson. Um, uh, Cassie is the senior head of the UK portfolio at the National Lottery Community Fund um, but she has been working in kind of civil society and particularly around sort of digital civil society for a long while now used to work at Dot Everyone um, and is well known as a sort of thinker and commentator on issues around digital civil society but also kind of more broadly these days about the role of philanthropic funding in society um, I've been meaning to, to talk to Cassie for a while on the podcast um, and we were going to have a conversation about all sorts of things to do with the importance of uh, horizon scanning and futures thinking in civil society and there's some of that in this conversation um, but naturally given the point at which we are having the conversation it is dominated uh, like everything else is at the moment by what's going on with the coronavirus pandemic um, so I talked to Cassie quite a bit about what the National Lottery Community Fund is doing um, but we also tried to uh, have a bit of a conversation about what some of the kind of medium and longer term impacts of the, the current crisis might be on philanthropy and civil society whether some of the sort of enforced changes that had happened in the short term with organisations having to embrace digital technology and uh, and kind of do things in a, in a distributed way would stick or whether they would go back to how they were before, um, whether this, this sort of enforced digitisation period might lead to a greater awareness and appreciation across civil society of the importance of engaging on technology issues, whether some of the changes in funder behaviour um, that are happening at the moment in response to the crisis, so uh, you know, a shift towards unrestricted funding and, and kind of placing trust in grantees rather than demanding large amounts of metrics, whether that would signal a sea change in the way funding works or, or whether it wouldn't. Um, and we, we also talked about the, the role of civil society foresight and whether one of the lessons from the pandemic was that there needed to be more looking ahead to the future in a structured way within civil society and more effort made to engage civil society in kind of wider efforts to think ahead to the future in, in policy making and funding. Um, so without further ado, let's go into the, the conversation. Um, I'll be back at the end for the usual bit of housekeeping and tidying up. Okay, great. So I'm here with Cassie Robinson. Hi there, Cassie. Hello. Nice to touch. <laughs> yeah. And, and Cassie is uh, Senior Head of the UK Portfolio at the National Lottery Community Fund. Um, I mean, I'll get you to say a little bit more about uh, your work there and kind of what your, your role involves. Um, but given the sort of context in which we're talking, this is probably a, a different conversation <laughs> than it would have been when we first arranged to, to, uh, to have a discussion on the podcast, because obviously as we're all aware the COVID-19 pandemic is kind of raging around us and, and causing, you know, change on a daily basis. Um, so probably the most natural place to start is just to ask how, how the pandemic's affecting you and your organisation and the organisations you work with so far. Yeah, so it's um, 
yeah it's been a very intense time um the last couple of weeks obviously i think we make about twelve thousand grants a year and many of those organizations are either working really on the front line of some of this or very like local in communities um so we've been we've been trying to respond in a few different ways um i think like many funders last week we we announced that we would um sort of relax our grants and and be much more flexible in how they were spent and you know just try to be reassuring to the sector or to our grantees um and then we're exploring like various like proactive ways in which we might fund based around some of the things that we've been hearing um so i did um a group of interviews last week i think i spoke to about 40 organizations um three days in a row including some of our colleagues internally as well who work in the different countries and regions but but primarily with our grantees and with some other partners just to understand you know what do people need right now what is changing for people what's the new demand how are they going to deliver their services in a different way um if they're a service delivery organization um yeah and i guess like if i we ended up kind of breaking that down into six areas. Um, one, which is, has been like organizations who are really like serving those most at risk of COVID-19. So whether that's older people, people with underlying health conditions, um, just people in more vulnerable situations, obviously they're, they need to sort of provide additional support at this time. Um, and then a group of organisations who are providing, who, who the demand for their services, which are much more around like information and advice and support, who are again facing increased demand. Um, so we've got a sort of group of organisations that we're looking at supporting who fit into that kind of category. And I guess they're not only facing increased demand, but they're having to think about entirely new ways to deliver their information or their advice etc some of whom are much more set up to do that than others and then another group that we a sort of another category is those who are really there to kind of pick up the pieces or respond to those who've been pushed even more into crisis because of this situation so whether that's trying to ensure that children who only tend to be fed at school can still be fed when that kind of infrastructure is closed um, to obviously food banks baby banks but, but the people who are getting who are trying to meet those very basic needs for some of the most um yeah some some of the, those sort of most vulnerable uh children families workers um and then another category has been those organisations that are really trying to sort of strengthen and help the sector transition at this time. And some of that is also about helping coordinate efforts and helping to make sense of what's needed where. So a kind of needs analysis function. But then a lot, a lot of that work tends to be done by those organisations that are also very good at sort of design and digital and data because they have approaches that are all about those things so there's yeah a group of organizations that i think are 
starting to really mobilize networks of tech, digital and data expertise that can really help the sector uh, stabilize and transition to things like re remote working, um, but also do this coordinated sense making of what's needed. Um, another category are the very local efforts. So organizations that do both formal, but also importantly, informal, not even volunteering. I don't want to call the informal stuff volunteering because some of it's just neighborliness, but um, there is obviously an increased need for some of the formal volunteering organizations, but how do we support that very local um, community organizing community effort? Um, so that's a kind of another group. And I guess within that, I would put sort of anchor organizations um, and how they're playing a really vital role now. Um, and then the last category, I think that's the sixth, is, has been around the infrastructure organizations um, in the different countries and working at different sort of levels of, of, the, of civil society. Um, but obviously they've got a really important role to play now. Um, and so I guess across all of those, we've heard some it's 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 a question of like liquidity and just their own financial survival um some has has been a much more around how do we how do we sort of pivot how do we move away from doing what we do in a new way and in a in a way that that is able to respond to the the new things that are needed as a result of the crisis some of it is very much just about increased demand and how to cope with that um yeah, that's probably too much. <laughs> no, that's it's really interesting. And I've, I've just been frantically scribbling some notes because there's a lot of things that I wanted to pick up on there. Um, you mentioned at the end there about um, the idea of, you know, lots of organisations having to pivot to new ways of working or to kind of new areas of focus um, and you supporting them in doing that. I mean, is that something um, that the National Lottery Community Fund itself has had? to do i mean is, is the work you're doing in the short term does it fit within your existing strategic frameworks or have you had to slightly kind of tear some of those up and and yourselves and, and just kind of focus on what the the need is right now regardless of of that stuff i think we're i think because we're such a large organization um with different people can take on slightly different roles at a time like this i think we've been able to respond i mean i'm sure all of us We'll always wish we could do more or could have done more or could have done something differently in this kind of situation but generally i think for a large organization we have been able to respond relatively quickly like we we still are waiting to make a couple of announcements um you know down to just different aspects of our governance etc and other relationships that um we're sort of working out at the moment around partners and stuff but generally um you know we have a really good because we put in a grant management system um last year a new grant management system and we have like a director of information and data now we we've actually got a really good data set around just intelligence about like who we fund what whether they fit into any of those categories so we can be proactive in reaching out to them um where greater need might be so that there's that's been really helpful to have like more intelligence sitting in the organization based on our grant management system um and then i think 
because we've got quite a few different products now, like different funding products, we have got a bit more agility um, in terms of um, different ways of doing grants and different speeds at which we can move through them depending on amounts and stuff. Um, so yeah, I have to say I've been I've been very impressed and um, have have it's been, it has felt like an amazing team effort the last two weeks where we've really pulled together. Yeah, absolutely. It's really encouraging to to hear. Um, you also mentioned, I mean, as I'm sure lots of people listening will be aware, that organisations have had to to adapt to new ways of working and particularly kind of remote working and, and using digital tools at an incredible speed. Do, I mean, what's your initial perception of whether the the support that you're offering for those organisations is is to sort of help them manage a short-term blip or whether there is a sense that this will kind of fundamentally change the way that organisations think about possibilities but also sort of about uh, you know whether things need to be done in person or not do you get any sense that organizations are kind of thinking hang on a minute these changes we're making now are probably going to have longer term impacts or are they just focusing on you know making do and mending right now I think I think there's probably this isn't a helpful answer in a way but like there's a, a, a real mix um so I think I think that that some organizations are probably and I, I'm sort of I'm not going to get too granular, obviously, about particular organisations, but there's some organisations that I would say are just so deep in the emergency response firefighting that they're, you know, they're, they're adapting in a way they probably don't even necessarily understand yet. I mean, the same for all of us, you know, like probably in these in these last two weeks, the way that we've needed to work hasn't created a lot of space for reflection or critical thinking or you know we're just all in it doing very busy doing um so i've not heard i've not heard many organizations yet sort of recognize that this might be a really much more fundamental change for them um but i don't think that that you know like i i expect that will come um i think some of the organizations that are a bit more set up for this so quite a few of the digital fund um grantees from the lottery have said that they they feel like having been through that that kind of digital you know that they've got digital ways of working which i would say are more just design ways of working but they're used to working in a more iterative way they're used to having more agility now they have the digital tools, they are set up to work remotely. Um, and they've just said that has been like so amazing to already have in place. Whereas I guess a lot of the rest of the sector are probably doing that kind of, I, don't, I hate the term digital transformation, but are probably doing that kind of digital transformation in a matter of a few weeks rather than maybe a year or two. And and in a way, it doesn't end. That's the point. It's once you once you start working in that way, you just become an organisation that has more agility. And you know, if if there's there's a few that there's quite a, there's many things I hope come out of this that might be more positive. And one of those would be that generally the sector, the organisations in civil society, have been able to become 
to, to have that agility because I don't think this, you know, I think we are with, with, with the climate crisis and probably other pandemics and, you know, who else knows what's coming our way. I think, I think it's so important now for, for the sector to have more agility. I would agree. Yeah, I guess you know agility and and sort of allied to that resilience, and, and I suppose the two the two go hand in hand. Um, I mean, one of the things that I, it made me think of a conversation I was having last week with somebody when you were saying about you know a lot of organisations having to to go on that digital transformation journey or whatever journey it is, but having to kind of change their way of working extremely quickly. Um, and sort of necessity has been the mother of invention for a lot of organisations, and they've done things I think that many of them thought weren't possible at all in an incredibly short space of time. Um, you know, one thing somebody was talking to me about is whether we should have concerns that actually th- that that pace might mean that a huge number of organizations that are kind of not that accustomed to using those tools or to kind of working, you know, in a, in a digital way might not be aware of some of the the kind of the issues around, I mean, base, basic things like cyber cybersecurity, but also around kind of ownership of data and those kinds of things. I mean, do you think those are potentially sort of medium term issues that we need to to think through if some of this stuff sticks? Absolutely. And actually, I've just come off um, hosting a funders learn tech um, sort of webinar or Zoom, like Zoom call um, alongside Rachel Caldicott, who used to be the chief exec of dot everyone and that's a that's a series of we're doing those monthly specifically for funders and that came up um today and you know rachel's got this concept of just enough internet meaning how to how do civil society organizations know what what not to digitize to and how do they know the right questions to ask to be able to work out what enough internet means for them as a civil society organization and I guess what's just happened you know what is happening now with COVID-19 and everyone getting online and adopting all these new digital tools and ways of working is is there isn't time right now there isn't time and space to be asking like what what are the potential implications of that what might be the longer term consequences or the cumulative effects of those things and I just wouldn't expect anyone right now to have that headspace but I think like you say that is definitely something um, that we'll need thinking about. Um, Rachel and I are doing some work with the Co-op Foundation along with Iona Lawrence and we we were running we're going to be running these things called collective action labs which initially um were about how do how does civil society organizations in greater manchester because that's where we're just focusing for now how do how do they become much more involved in shaping the impacts of technology on a city in a community how do they you know take the lead in that and for them to be able to do that how do they have a sense of what just enough internet is like and what it means and and maybe for the communities that they work with as well and I think a week ago we weren't sure whether to keep doing them because it just felt you know we we were just about to start them in April and I think we we were wondering are they even relevant now but I think actually they will be because everyone is going to be online in a different way 
um, and we will need to work out what that now means. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think they sound incredibly timely. I do, I do again, not to, as you say, I mean, I don't have that much time to sort of uh, pull my head up at the moment and kind of think about the longer term, but it, you know, work that I have done previously thinking about this stuff and having concerns about the way in which people view some of these platforms as kind of pure digital public space. And they, you know, they really aren't, they are owned and there are gatekeepers in place and quite a small number of them. I do worry that people who, haven't really kind of engaged with those issues that much might just pile into to these platforms and think wow this is incredible look you know look at the ways we can work without being aware of some of those challenges and also i think that you know there are lots of people i know you're kind of been involved in these issues for ages around things like um kind of data and privacy and and how that um kind of interacts with um individual and civil rights and that kind of thing and I worry that the the sort of necessity that comes around from having a public health crisis of this scale will allow things to be pushed through and and probably justifiably so in order to kind of address the immediate short-term crisis but that they will kind of allow changes in the way that data is collected and used that it will be very difficult to reverse after the effect so I think kind of getting that that balance right and kind of keeping a watch on it in the short term even though it's very difficult because we're all kind of preoccupied with other things is really important yeah absolutely and i think in the same way that funders um, at a time like this need to be really wise about their, the different roles that they they should play and how they coordinate their efforts um I guess similarly, some of those organisations that are more naturally placed or already do some of that longer term or critical thinking um, need to also like take on some of that stuff, which I think they are, um, and work out what's the right what's the right time or sequencing to bring some of that conversation in, because yeah, in some ways some of it might already be too late but we can't you know we can't do anything about that now um but there will be ongoing things that i think we can do something about you know and organizations like dot everyone and liberty um and the ada lovelace institute and but you know that there is um foxglove the new legal legal like um the new law firm that's specifically set up around um tech and society um yeah, there's some great organisations out there that that I think already have their eye on this. Well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, it's one thing I wanted to to ask you about anyway, because obviously you've kind of come from that digital civil society world, or that that's at least been one of the things that you've done. You've come into sort of, in some ways, the more kind of traditional philanthropic funding world. What what's your sense, you know, at this point in time of how? well engaged that funding world or kind of more traditional civil society is with some of these issues that are about kind of emerging uh issues or kind of the impact of technology do you do you think they're up to speed with it not enough <laughs> but you know i don't want to sort of be i i think i mean again there's like groups of all, groups of funders and groups of civil society organizations i think i think generally the thinking longer term about the implications of technology is the thing that still feels like only very few organizations and funders uk funders um are thinking about um you know because 
a lot of organizations are not thinking about it at all although they will be now in terms of just like tech and digital and data um and then i guess there was there was such a big movement around the kind of tech for good stuff of just that idea of like how can you apply technology to help address social issues and i think there was a much larger group of funders and civil society organizations that had you know got on board with that and understood that and we're starting to do some good work in that but i think yeah the the longer term stuff still feels um really yeah that there's not a lot of funding or interest in that it seems at the moment and and i think some of that is just because it's still really hard i mean when i worked at dot everyone and i was leading our sort of society and tech strand of work i found it really hard to imagine to think about how is like tech power relevant to or going to interlink with some of the social justice issues that that we might care about and now climate justice as well um and so i think that's i think some of what needs to happen which is what these funders learn tech um monthly webinars are is just to help funders and civil society organizations understand what the implications or impacts of tech mean within the context of the sort of social issues that they tend to care about. And I mean, you do a great job of that yourself, helping to sort of translate some of that. Um, but yeah, that I, I think there's still a big gap. Um, and, and I think it's only going to become more important because I, I do believe, I have no scientific evidence for this, but I kind of think, other than climate, you know, the climate crisis, tech power is the other largest kind of global issue that we face. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do wonder within civil society whether one of the eventual sort of medium term effects of, of this pandemic, I mean, the, the, you know, the bad version is that there are lots of kind of unforeseen consequences because organisations move into digital ways of working without being aware of all of the risks but then the, the positive spin might be actually it's easier to engage them on some of these issues around the longer term impact of technology because it won't feel so much like something that happens over there in that funny little tech for good space it'll be something that everybody now has quite deep experience of thinking through and making work and actually it will feel that much more relevant um, that's my optimistic framing in my head so I think it'd be really interesting to see whether there's actually a sort of upswell of engagement in in tech and digital issues uh, more widely in civil society af after this all uh, hopefully kind of calms down a bit yeah um, oh sorry just one other thing I was going to add is, yeah um, I feel like this isn't I'm still trying to understand exactly what I mean about it but I suppose the other thing the other reason I think that it hasn't been it's still not adopted like fun funders and civil society organizations in the uk maybe haven't like engaged with it as much as they might is a lot of the implications of technology conversations have been very dominated by the human rights and international development community because i guess some of the human rights organizations have been working in countries and in contexts where where tech and human rights meet like there's huge things to be um aware of and to try and like do something about but those 
kind of things don't necessarily translate into um some of the uk context of of just like civil society and what happens to work what happens in terms of communities maybe needing different amenities the the kind of question of what's the new role for civil society that has been created by technology i don't think you're going to be able to address that question through through the kind of human rights and tech lens so i'm i'm hoping that what's happened does also yeah broaden out the, the context in terms of of how we understand where tech and society inter intersect yeah and i i mean i think i mean for, for my money i think that's probably inevitable in that it feels like you know in lots of different ways we're going through a, an enormous you know un, unforced or kind of unplanned natural experiment and actually if you started talking to people now i think about you know ideas about the impact of technology on the way we interact socially and kind of human relationships actually people are experiencing that stuff day to day both in terms of the good side of technology allowing them to connect at a time when they can't physically but also you know the downsides of that and the reliance on technology so i think with some of those issues they will seem a lot less speculative to people and so i, I sort of hope that people might you know engage more kind of medium term and longer term on them and, and one of the things i wanted to ask you is sort of similar thing actually in terms of of what we're seeing at the moment um as a result of the pandemic and the responses to it that I think there are a couple of things I think that speak to kind of big themes that were already there in terms of discussions around civil society. And one of them you alluded to up front was about the, the prominence of kind of informal or semi-formal or kind of more networked ways of, of organising. And again, in the response to this pandemic, I mean, there's lots of traditional civil society organisations and charities involved in doing great work, but also there's been a lot of just kind of groups springing up um, kind of enabled by technology but but with very kind of informal structures and just run through Facebook groups or WhatsApp groups and things uh, do you think um, I mean certainly when do you think that that sort of highlights that this is what people tend to look to now when they want to engage in social action and as a kind of as a funder what does that mean for you in terms of the way you fund I mean do you feel like you're you're in a position to successfully fund those kind of movements or does it bring challenges for you um yeah so i mean there's definitely in, in some of the interviews i was doing last week i spoke to some of the people involved in the mutual aid groups for example alongside some of the more formal volunteering um charities and there is you know there is a real tension there because on the one hand like those the the kind of local groups um a, crit a criticism of them has been i mean that's not coming from me by the way um but some of the criticism has been you know what about people's safety what about gdpr what about all these things that you need um to do that kind of activity like well and safely um and i i was sort of hearing that quite a lot from the more formal um volunteering charities but i guess the challenges if I mean, I absolutely think you need to do some safety and things like GDPR awareness, etc., which they have done now. I guess the minute you start to try and professionalize that kind of community action, um, or as you say, like that sort of movement um, or networked way of organizing, then you, you know, you just risk 
completely deflating the the whole thing um and i i suppose i think that's why it's important to invest in both and obviously it's much harder as a funder and i should probably say like this is my view not the lotteries not the national lottery community funds um is i suppose it's how do you it it's it's just very very hard to operationalize tiny 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 grants you know like the administrative effort of that at a time when um the organization who's administering the grants might might also be facing like lots of staff being unwell and off work and doing homeschooling etc so like if a funder's capacity is already at its you know is already lower than normal that kind of administrative stuff is really difficult so i guess the important thing is to find who are those trusted organizations that you can give resource to who can then help distribute that to the very local efforts and that's definitely one of the things that i've been looking at um yeah it's just like what are the most straightforward mechanisms to get money out quickly to the activity that's happening very locally without it feeling um like it you know without it starting to hinder um and get in the way of the energy of that no no i no, i think that's i think that's a really good point because it is you know as you say actually uh, there there are challenges with making kind of existing grant making models work and it's not through sort of lack of will necessarily on the part of the funders it's just the sort of practical reality of of actually making it feasible to to move money in that way um i mean the other thing that i was i thought was sort of interesting to touch on around some of those groups that have sprung up i mean obviously they kind of demonstrate potentially different ways of working and organizational models but also a lot of them because of the nature of the response are local or hyper local and that seems to kind of play into the discussions that were already gaining quite a lot of steam in in the philanthropy world about the importance of place and kind of place based approaches, um, you know, do you think do you think that will have um, an effect on kind of accelerating the focus on place? Do you think people will come out of this um, the the whole pandemic uh, crisis with a more keen awareness of their immediate locality and a sort of desire to act locally? Um, I hope so. Um... I, I mean, I, I do think, I think already, certainly in some of the conversations I was in prior to to what sort of happened, happening now um, around the virus, I think there, there, there was already talk of a kind of needing to reimagine and then strengthen like the infrastructure in place. Because I suppose that's one of the challenges I think at the moment is there are new kinds of organizing there's new kinds of organizing happening um and sometimes as well it's not about money so some of the mutual aid groups said to me it's not about money necessarily um some of it was they just wanted some advice about things like safeguarding or there's an organization now that is helping with the kind of digital infrastructure that can underpin more of what they're doing um but I, yeah, I think I think there might be a renewed appreciation for what else do you need other than the small groups, the small pockets of activity to help 
help those things sustain themselves and whether that is some kind of digital infrastructure whether that is um an anchor organization I, that i don't think i know yet but i do know um i i was in talks with a, a big organization a few months ago about we were going to potentially do a conference this year called making infrastructure cool again um and yeah i'm quite obsessed with infrastructure so <laughs> i'm a bit biased maybe but i you know and that i'm not necessarily saying prop propping up some of the infrastructure that I don't think is fit for purpose anymore. Um, but I do think that people, communities, very local groups do need some infrastructure. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, I think one of the things when I look at the, the kind of enthusiasm for more kind of networked or decentralized models or the whole kind of you know idea of like disintermediating everything is is that it has huge potential and, and huge benefits in some ways, but also, you know, when, particularly when you look at the history of some of these things, there are reasons that they ended up getting intermediated and centralized. And if you totally ignore those, the danger is you're just going to run into the same problems that people had in the past. So I think there is a job, as you say, to be done to kind of make the slightly unglamorous argument for the necessity of infrastructure and, and kind of some some amount of kind of organizational frameworks. But I But I guess it's potentially more about it's not one or the other it's about a rebalancing somewhere between the two so that we kind of get the benefits of of both so I'll be again it'll be really interesting to see if that's a, a conversation that gets driven forward more as a result of, of what's going on at the moment I think some of the stuff I now would think of as infrastructure isn't necessary like they wouldn't necessarily define themselves as infrastructure either so I think there's something about what's that new infrastructure and I guess in a in a crisis like we're in right now just even having an organization, for example, you know, there is an organization right now who is trying to, and I think doing an, an amazing job so far at doing that kind of trying to allocate need where it, where it is, allocate um, resource to where it's needed most and making sense of multiple needs across lots of different areas. And, you know, that kind of, that that role of like intelligence gathering um segmenting analysis sorting through things and then distributing out what's needed you know that's a really good example of why you need some infrastructure yeah absolutely one, one of the other things actually just i was thinking of when touches on something you were saying before because you mentioned about um the, the kind of response there being quite a lot of prominence around sort of mutual aid i was having a conversation with with somebody um the other day and i've seen people starting to write about this that one of the really interesting things seems to be that possibly because of the nature of of this current crisis which is sort of different to any that we've experienced in recent times where there tends to be sort of one group of people suffering as a result of something and then another group of people who have resources and are able to help them and actually you know everyone to a greater or lesser degree is is sort of caught up in in this crisis so it's not a sort of you know the, the haves and have nots or us and them it's everybody in in something like the same boat and it seems to be throwing more of an idea um more of a focus back on ideas of kind of collectivism and mutualism rather than the sort of charitable giving or philanthropic tradition of those with the resources helping those who don't have the resources do you think that is going to have any impact on the way that sort of philanthropy works or philanthropic funders think if if the the balance does shift more back in that kind of direction um that's a good question 
I'm not sure I know um, a good answer to that one other than what what I've always I mean the 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 single reason that I left my previous role to do to go and work in in a foundation was because I felt like there was so much more opportunity for funders to be funding like ecosystems and collectives and you know like whilst more funders are starting to work in collaboration um and you know obviously there's been the whole collective impact approach I'm not saying it doesn't happen at all but I felt I I still feel like rather than funding individual organizations and designing better ways to fund collectives is still like woefully um under practiced in the philanthropic world and that doesn't you know like movement is a different thing maybe um but yeah funding like networks or intentional collectives who are trying to achieve some similar outcomes or just work to, together better it's not directly relevant to your question maybe but but perhaps you know because we are I, yeah I, I really feel like this is a time when we're thinking about the collective um as much or if more if not more so than the individual i would love to see that influence how we do collective funding practice yeah absolutely well and you said you didn't necessarily have a good answer it was a very very good answer to a question i sprung on you um one of the other things i wanted to ask as well you know we've we've both been involved in some of the the kind of debates and discussions around uh, kind of critiques of philanthropy that are out at the moment um you know around things like the way in which it relates to to inequality um whether or not it's kind of transparent enough and all these sorts of things do you, it seemed like we got to a point where, where philanthropy was slightly on the ropes in some ways and i think you know some of that criticism was a, a little bit uh, overblown or polemic but actually there's a lot of validity in a lot of it and i think people were engaging with it do you think that the fact that you know philanthropy and volunteerism has been quite prominent so far in the response to the the pandemic will will have any impact on that or make people think sort of more positively again about philanthropy and potentially some dampen down some of that criticism or do you think we need to sort of factor that criticism into thinking through philanthropy's response to the to the current crisis so i think there'll be i think there already is and there will continue to be both criticism you know i've i've already seen people being critical of how philanthropy is responding to this and I've also seen people be very positive. Um, I think there's just a set of good practices in philanthropy that that need to become more and more the norm. Um, that maybe some of which have the opportunity to be accelerated during a crisis like this. Um, and it's hard because I think some of the some of the criticisms of philanthropy and for philanthropy to be able to meaningfully respond to those is less likely to happen in in a crisis where people are working to just be incredibly responsive and you know meet the urgent need in the moment um and in doing so they will get some things wrong because none of us have been in this situation before like you say in recent decades um so of course there's going to be some people that feel like we're not doing this right when we're not doing this well um 
but you know from my perspective everyone I know is doing the best they can yeah no, absolutely I mean I think you know I wouldn't want to say for a second that everybody there's a lot of people I know who are working extremely hard to kind of uh to kind of manage the situation as, as best as possible and and certainly to try and ensure that civil society and you know the organizations in it survive through it and can hopefully kind of come out stronger on the other side um I just I just wanted sort of um I'm aware I'm in danger of taking up quite a lot of your time and we're both <laughs> both very busy at the moment but I just wanted to ask finally as a sort of positive note I mean there there are a lot of challenges at the moment as a result of the the current crisis but what have you seen so far in terms of the response from the organizations that you're working with or kind of more broadly across civil society that gives you cause for hope or optimism um I think I mean, I do, I have seen in the last couple of weeks just much more effort around trying to coordinate things, trying to like do things together to, you know, from from some of our grantees who are trying to work out, yeah, how they can work together more through the crisis and learn from how each other are responding to it through to how funders are getting in touch with one another or being coordinated by London funders or or the or ACF um you know that there seems like a huge amount of will to try and like pull together um and I I think that's yeah I'd love to see that kind of like behavior um and approach continue um and then I think just I guess it's all the small, tiny things that people are doing to keep in touch or to try and still um, feel like their team is connected. So like little ways of connecting into your team's culture whilst you're all working in completely different parts of the country. Um, I've just been like really, yeah, by really, really sort of touched and quite blown away by people's creativity and things like that yeah absolutely and I, I you know, certainly as somebody who has worked remotely when everybody else works in office actually being in a situation where everybody's now working remotely so the the kind of it's more on a level playing field it's been really interesting uh to see and I guess kind of outside work actually seeing people just adopt some of these tools that were kind of there anyway but use them um you know for for socializing and things I think is, is really interesting uh, and has brought you know brought a lot of of really kind of positive stuff so far so I would definitely agree. Um, listen, Cassie, I just want to say thanks ever so much for finding the time to, to come on the podcast. It's been great having the chance to, to talk to you. Um, and hopefully we might be able to get you back on at some point sort of further down the line when this is all calmed down and we can have a conversation that, that maybe isn't quite so focused on, on the immediate here and now. I'd love that. I have a list of things that we still need to talk about. Foresight, um, better grant making practice or the role of philanthropy all kinds of things so I'd love to come back excellent well we'll get it in the diary and then we'll do part two that'd be great thanks for having me okay great well my thanks again to Cassie for finding some time to come on the podcast um at what I know is an extremely busy period uh for her and you know for lots of other people as well across civil society and beyond 
Um, I will put some links in the show notes to various things that we were talking about. Um, if you're interested in issues around philanthropy and civil society and technology and all kinds of other things, uh, check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis or at Philiteracy if you like stuff more about kind of academic and historical writing about philanthropy. Um, if you've got an idea for things we could talk about on this podcast or people I could interview, uh, drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org. Um, other than that, just like, subscribe, tell all your friends about it, share it around as widely as you can, and I'll see you next time. Okay, bye! <laughs>